Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trapped Offside podcast. My name is Safwan Zahir and I'm joined by Abdurrahman Khalifa, Kamal Al-Ghrayeb and Carl Kurdahi. Once again, we bring you our favorite stories of this week, starting with Kamal. So my story for the week, and I find it to be particularly interesting since uh, there's always been this talk about, you know, the monster money in football. And apparently Cristiano Ronaldo was the first ever footballer to make one billion dollars in uh, career earnings. Jesus Christ. Which I think is, I'm not really sure what I think about that. And apparently Messi is projected to follow suit in 2021. And it got me thinking, like, I always thought that the money that footballers made was kind of understandable, given, like, we've spoken, this, we've spoken about this before. I mean, it's their piece of the pie. There's just so much money in football. And part of the reason why there's so much money in football is because of their skill and ability and talent and hard work and, and, all, and all of that. But my goodness, once I read that, like, at first I thought it was a clickbait article, like, when they were like, oh, Kylie Jenner has made billionaire, whatever. But then when I read it and how they explained it, it was like just about career earnings. And the guy gets paid $1 million per Instagram post. He actually makes more money from his social media than he does from his uh, Juventus salary, which like, I'm not even sure like what to make of this, how to explain it, what I think about it. I'm just like, I'm just taken aback by it. That's, 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 that's pretty much it. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if like they should maybe introduce salary caps like they do in the NBA and NFL and whatnot. I'm not really sure like uh, what the, what kind of like what what decision making process would go behind establishing something like that? But I think just so much money in football, it's mind blowing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Look, think about Ronaldo. Is yes, he's become the first billionaire, but a lot of that money wasn't from football. And what he's done is he's he's invested the money that he's gotten, and he's made sure to put them into multiple businesses, and that's why he's been doing so well. Now, we, we spoke about salary caps last week or the week before, and my opinion on salary caps is pretty much well known. But when the Premier League was started back in 92 and they remodeled the whole old first division into, into the Premier League, players went on strike in 92, trying to make sure that they get their piece of the pie. And the thing is, that money in football is still going to be there. Now, I'd rather the player benefited from the money than not lining the billionaire owner's pockets. That's just how I see it. So introducing something of a salary cap, I, I just, um, yeah, I, I stand somewhere very different to where other people might stand. In a sense that they're the asset, they're the commodity. People come see the players play. They don't come and see the owners or the managers. They, they come see the actual players. So I do think that good for Ronaldo, good for Messi, as long as they pay their taxes and give back to the country that they're playing in, you know, all good back for them. People, if anything, not really. By country, do you mean the go- like governments and whatnot or like the actual people and society and community? So the money that they're paying is basically filtering back down to the people. So Carlos Tevez was on 350 grand. I don't know if uh, if anyone saw the pay slip um, the other day leaked from, from Carlos Tevez. He took home 195 grand. Now, you'd say, oh, that's still a lot of money. It is. But the guy's lost about 40, 45% of his salary due to taxes, national insurance and whatnot. And that money that is paid in taxes is especially paid back into the country where more people can benefit from it. So, again, f- 
footballers are massively important in terms of the economy, in terms of what they give back. Yes, they might. That's not even going into like charitable causes and what they've done in that respect. But their salaries are vitally important. I do think it's, it's good that they're getting paid. I'd rather they got paid than say Daniel Levy getting paid. Oh, for sure, for sure. You absolutely. Get Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. Sure. Okay, here's my question on that. When you were mentioning that Ronaldo became the first billionaire footballer and you talked about introducing a potential, uh, potentially introducing a salary cap, why is it such an issue if Ronaldo becomes a billionaire? Oh, oh no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. I'm not advocating for a salary cap. Like, that's why I said I'm not even sure what decision-making process would be put in place to decide on the salary cap. Like, in the NBA, they did it just so all the teams could remain competitive. So, uh, like, no team. So, like, there's no, like, Barcelona yeah. Madrid situation like there is in La Liga. And But his earning is, by the way, just need to mention, he's made over a billion dollars. He's not worth a billion dollars. Yeah. His over entire career he's made, which is still incredible. And good for him. Good for him. I mean, he, he was not, like, given that money. He earned every penny of it. And good for him. But I'm, I'm wondering if that will lead to, like, maybe people questioning if footballers should be making that much money or not. To me, I would much rather they get paid than, like, the Daniel Levy types and whatnot. They've earned it. We know how much work they put in, how, much, how many sacrifices they make. We know it's not all sunshine and roses for them. So I'm, I'm okay with them making that money, and uh, it's, it's fine. And a lot of them give back to the community. The team, what Ronaldo has done, Messi, SEM, Kaka, or Kaka, however it's supposed to be pronounced, Drogba, Eto, so on and so forth. But no, I have I have no issue with it. I'm good for him, honestly. But here, here's the thing, like with with Ronaldo in particular, with this situation, reaching a billion. I think it's also because he did an excellent job branding himself. Because he has a brand also. It's not just Absolutely. about the footballer. Absolutely, it's not just about the footballer in that case. Now, he's not he's not he's not living off pennies from his Juve salary. You know that always. That always uh, elevates it. Like, and I'll give an example just a bit later on. But you see his Instagram posts; they're all sponsored. You see that the dedication and the hard work makes him somebody that these core, that these big companies can have as the, as, the, as their face, right? Like, I think it was Gillette at one point. I know Nike for sure. You know, he's the face of these brands. He's he's all over commercials. Everything's sponsored. Like you said, he's gone back and invested quite a bit. The fact that he's a billion-dollar footballer, is, I think his salary from football is what is probably just like forty percent of that. Maybe I mean it's not it's not insignificant. It's just forty percent maybe. But then what football brought to him, he took that to another level. This is maybe this is a lot like if you look at the Last Dance, David fucking Michael Jordan and the and the Air Jordan brand, which was the Nike where where they started and where where they ended up becoming it. Michael Jordan, I mean, at the time he made a lot of of money but like by today's standards it's not it's not as much he made i think at most 30 million a year but he's worth worth over a billion now and that's the thing when you become a brand and an icon and the face of the face of nike it, it is what it is and this also just gives me a quick comparison with dak prescott if you don't know who dak prescott is he's the quarterback for dallas cowboys he's a decent quarterback he's not top five he's up for contract negotiation if you yeah. know the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys are the biggest draw. They're the most on prime time. They're the most on national tele television. They have the biggest reach, and that's because of their owner, who also just marketed that team very, very well and built an empire and a brand name. So what Dak Prescott is, they want him to take less money. 
he wants a certain amount. They want him to take less money. And the kick to it is the amount of endorsements he gets being quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. So that kind of falls in that track where it's not just about what you make off the sport. It's also how you can brand yourself and market yourself. I mean, on Sundays when I'm watching the NFL, I see Dak Prescott 50 times during the day. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even joking. Soup commercials, um, whatever commercials, it's like nonstop all day, all Sunday, watching the NFL. It's Dak Prescott all day. So that, that has a lot of effect into it as well. Uh, to your point, Ronaldo is making more from his Instagram alone. That put aside other endorsements in social media. His Instagram alone, that's more money than his uh, Juventus salary. Oh, I'm sure. That's, I read somewhere that he's like maybe third on Instagram's sponsors, sponsorships. Yeah, 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 something like that. Kylie Jenner, whoever. Kylie yeah. Jenner and somebody else. He makes something like that. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, he is in a position to make that money because of how he built his image and the hard and the talent that goes behind it. And yeah, I mean, it's he put in the work and the effort to make that a possibility. So good for him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think it's also his personality that helps because he is very. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to say that about his personality, but. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, when you've got, he's got the swagger. That's the thing. He's yeah, got oh, the yeah. swagger that goes with yeah, it. The charisma. So, he is the charisma. You know, and Messi, the... Yeah, and, and Lionel Messi is a bit more reserved in that regard. Lionel Messi is more, I don't mean it. I don't mean Ronaldo isn't, but he's more like a family person, even though Cristiano is very well like that, but. Yeah. He's not about he's not about the high end, the lifestyle. He's he's more happy being a bit more private than Ronaldo. That's true. That's fair. Well said. I think uh, going into my um, news of the week is the MLS is coming back, um, and essentially the MLS Players Association has approved uh, a return to play plan. Now Americans, as they usually like to do. Uh, they're putting a unique spin on it. They're not just gone back and resuming the regular season. Uh, the MLS has decided to have a mini play-in tournament that takes place in Orlando. I think anyone that's watched the uh, the NBA uh, or has following, been following the NBA knows that the NBA is going to be taking place at, at Disneyland, Florida, in Orlando. Um, now, the MLS is going to be hosting these uh, this tournament at the uh, Orlando City Stadium. And essentially, the plan would be for players to uh, fly to Orlando on June the 24th. The team would then train for two weeks. They'd play in a, uh, a, a group stage with like five or six teams, I think it is. And then it would be followed by a knockout round. Um, teams that don't advance to the knockout stage, Stage would essentially fly back home and the maximum time the teams would be in Orlando is around six weeks. Uh, it's going to be four, t- four groups in total. Um, now you're going to have uh, Orlando City as one of the uh, teams, as the host teams, uh, Atlanta United as the US Open Cup winners, the MS winners, Seattle Sounders and the Supporters Shield winners, LAFC. They'd essentially go into each one of these groups and be seeded. Uh, everyone else would essentially be um, arranged uh, by a random draw. And there's going to be six teams in these groups with three of the groups and one Eastern Conference group containing eight total squads. Uh, 
under the proposed format, the teams would they'd play five games apiece with the top two teams in each group advancing to an eight-team knockout tournament. So it's going to be like quarterfinal, semifinal, final. Um, and these uh, group stage games that they're playing would count towards the MLS league standings. And this is done in mind so that people would go back to the MLS and finish the remainder of the MLS games as is normal. I don't get the point of going in, into a playing tournament. I don't get why they're doing it on the fact that uh, it's going to help out with the revenue. More and more people get tuned in because the concept of a playing tournament and incentivizing that um, one way or another could be of help. But I just don't see why it would be interesting or why it would be important. America, I guess. Um, I don't have much to say about it besides, like, it's just too complicated. It's just too much. It's just, it's too much, too much going on. Like you said, you don't get it for this and that. I just don't get it, period. <laughs> it's just a little over the top. I mean, yeah, there's certain, like, financial incentives behind it and whatnot, but uh, I'll leave it to Safwan and Carl maybe to say more. <laughs> I don't even, I'm not even remotely interested in the MLS overall, to be honest I don't with think you. anyone is. <laughs> it's like, you know, here's the problem. And, you know, the Americans, they do such a good job in terms of broadcasting, um, in terms of coverage, in terms of all that. When you look at how the NBA is covered, when you look at how the NFL is covered, now they're way more popular than the MLS, but... It's just, it's just not that good overall. I mean, you can't get, you can't generate that same type of excitement. The MLS has been around for about three years now, maybe twenty-five years. And even though soccer, yeah, is growing here, it's just, it's always going to be secondary. So, like, I don't, I don't think the numbers are that big in terms of money. So. And I don't know, by going that route of reshaping this and having these different zones where you get an eight-team tournament at the end, I don't I don't think anybody was hoping the Alice would be back, to be honest with you. Not as much as the NBA, really, but, but, uh, but yeah. Well, you, you say that, but then the number of people I have based out in the U.S. who are waking up at crazy hours watching the Bundesliga – and trying to pronounce German names is just. <laughs> oh, I oh I know the 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 excitement and buzz around around European football is, is tremendous here. Like you know, in Chicago, you've you've even got like an Everton Chicago fan club. Like, <laughs> that, I'm not even joking. They've got their own chapter here. I'm not I'm not even kidding. They've got their own chapter. In here. fairness, Tim Howard so, did play for them for quite a few did. years. Yeah, I guess you're right about that. But but yeah, so the, the European football is very well covered. Um, there's a lot of people who are into it. Everybody's waking up early. I mean, if this was still ongoing, I'm waking up Saturdays at 6.30 or 6.15 to watch the first game. And then what's nice about it is uh, the last game's done by one. So you don't sit the whole day. You just need to sit the morning and there is a lot of there is a lot of interest in European football here. The World Cup, the World Cup generated quite a bit of interest too. So it is still growing in that regard. But the MLS, 
I don't I don't know whether the MLS will ever be like the NBA in terms of having that level of play. As long as Europe's a powerhouse, that's not going to happen. I don't I don't think I don't think they they will ever get to that point because they don't have anything to offer that that Europe isn't already offering, and more so even in terms of prestige and all that. Uh, I think the so what America's certainly trying to do, and it's it's been working in a sense. Um, they're trying to remodel the uh, the college application process. They're giving out more scholarships, and they're trying to find a way to encourage more talents to start playing soccer. Um, I don't know whether they'll ever hit the heights of of Europe, but it's going to take a big, big player to come across. So when Zlatan was, was in the MLS, people get tuned in and watch because he's a big name people wanted to watch. Now it's going to have to take player in his prime to decide you know what i'm going to decide to move to the mls dude like what would change the mls for good is if neymar after psg decides and he says you know what i want to go to the mls i want to go to la because he does seem like the type of person that would enjoy la i did there was talk about i think ronaldo wanting cristiano wanting to play in the mls after no i'm not sure if immediately after juve but i think at some point i think that was floated around no, that, i think that I, might I, have been well i seem to recall that he flirted with the idea or something like that but that would oh my god that would that would can you imagine because i know for sure at 37 38 and he's 35 now but i mean like let's say he went at 38 i mean all due respect is latin but if he could do well there then i'm certain ronaldo would smash it there at that age as well Oh yeah, no. That would bring so much interest. Can you imagine? Like the last time a global, a global, a player with that much of a global image went to the MLS was Beckham back in 07. I mean, oh, yeah. respect to Pirlo via, via Zlatan, but none of them had you know Beckham's appeal. And when Beckham, when he was only 32, 33, he wasn't even uh, he wasn't even that old. So if Ronaldo goes there at like 38 or 39, the interest like that would spike such a surge of interest. That'd be phenomenal. I would do wonders for the MLS. So that's that's fair enough. But again, you're looking at someone at the tail end of his career. So that's what true, I was yeah. interesting was again, it will have to take a global superstar like like a Neymar. I just threw Neymar's name out mm-hmm. because he just seems like the most likely to want to leave European football and go to the to LA, for example. That would cause a shift because people are going to be like, okay, this guy is in his prime and he's decided to go play in America. Before that happens, I don't think people are going to take the MLS seriously. As someone who works in football and someone that works with MLS teams, I understand the quality that is there, but I think it's a general perception thing now. And the MLS need to work better on marketing that league and finding a way to get it on the TV sets of people in America and make them interested. Because as it stands, it's not better than the NBA. It's not better than than the NFL. And it's not going to be on the TV screens in the case of NHL, it's probably number four on the list. Which is surprising because among the youth, I don't know if it's still the case, but there was a long stretch of time when football, well, European football, was the most popular sport among American youth. I don't know if that's still the case right now, but it's just but towards as they grow up, they didn't shift to like baseball, American football, basketball or whatever. But there is potential maybe in the long run, but I don't think like, I do agree though, that it won't really change until a player in his prime goes there, like a Neymar, yeah. to speak. But do you ever see that happening? Like, do you think that's a I do, yeah, a remote prop? Really, I do, yeah. It will take someone eventually. I but, I do I do see that. Really, because because I don't 
to be honest with you. Um, and here's why. Like, it's not like, you know, we get on people like me personally for joining PSG. Oh, yeah, it's all about the money and all that. And in a way, it is too. But French League isn't the most elite. But you're still playing the Champions League and you're still, if the team has deep pockets, then you know you've got a shot at making a run and winning the Champions League. So unless unless you're getting somebody like if Messi next year or at the end of the season says, you know what, I'm done. I've got five Champions Leagues, four Champions Leagues. I've got double-digit La Ligas. I've got six Ballon d'Ors. I've got so much money. I don't really care anymore. Unless something like that happens where you get somebody to go when they're still within their prime or reasonably within their prime, there's there's no – what's the other incentive? Because the MLS does have a salary cap too, mind you, so – how much are they going to get paid? That's number one. Number two is what competition are they playing? And number three is, okay, you get the first player to go there, but you need like five, six competitive teams out of the 20 plus teams that they are. And one player is not really going to make a team either. So that's kind of why I don't see it. So unless, unless something very, very specific that somebody just wants to move for that lifestyle of just being in the U.S., being on the West Coast, being in Miami, definitely not being in Chicago, I'll tell you that. That is that winter is brutal. Um, so unless there's that, I just don't see – I just don't see a player – like you mentioned Neymar, and I, I get where you come from with that, but where's the, where's the appeal other than maybe the lifestyle? The money? There's no uh-huh. – but that's the thing. It's You're not going to make much in terms of salary. No not as much as in Europe, but number two is you're kind of shifted away from the epicenter of world football, right? So when you move to the U.S., it's not like you're, you're playing basketball for Real Madrid and then you move to the NBA like Luka Doncic, for example, yeah. where now you're at the, you're at the, you're right on the forefront of world basketball. You're right there. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of why I would argue against this. And I honestly don't see it happening. That's fair enough. At least not anytime soon. No, that's fair enough. I think the reason why I went for Neymar just before we transition to the next uh, next topic, Neymar's always been around the American scene. He's always seen hanging around the NBA players. He's a big NBA guy, but also he, he loves LA and he he's in LA every single summer. Uh, he's he's massive on on the LA, LA lifestyle, living in that area, um, going into acting, going into whatever and thing is if he's focused on his brand uh which i don't know it might be the case again i'm just here not necessarily clutching at straws but i'm giving an example of what might happen with one player um they might be swayed by the opportunities opportunities to go to hollywood and act in a movie and build a brand and no matter how what you do even if you play in the mls for a week for a year people are going to remember oh remember when neymar came and played in the mls for a year during his prime I mean, I'm sure. You see, that's why I, I do think that Ronaldo could end up in the MLS, but not before he's like 37 or 38. I mean, once once you're done with the game or like when you realize your days are coming to an end, you know, he's already like his brand is massive. I mean, he's popular in the States, but obviously not as popular as he is in Europe, Africa, Asia. So I think if his brand is his next focus after deciding that he's had enough of the you know highest level of football, MLS would be the natural next step for him to do that. I think for me, it's very hard to see it with Ronaldo because 
he's just that much of a competitor. Yeah. I think he's going to want to stay yeah, in I a agree. top European league even for as long as possible. Even then, it, it, I think as long as he's able to play football, he's going to want to try and compete That's fair. That's for the biggest competitions there. I think the one player, and even then it's a stretch, but the one player who I think would be able to move in before he gets to that retirement age would be Griezmann. Um, yeah. He's always been was, a very big fan of David Beckham as well. And he's always wanted to follow in his footsteps. So you could see him maybe moving to Inter-Miami. But I'm not quite sure it would have the impact that you would expect it to have. I think what's more likely, unfortunately, is that if a superstar player moves to the MLS, you're just going to have a case of that superstar just sort of losing his image rather than the MLS boosting theirs. So so if Griezmann suddenly moves to the MLS, you're going to get a lot of Americans, a lot of local fans talking about him. But when it comes to European fans, nobody's going to start watching the MLS because of him. I think they're just going to stop talking about Griezmann and life is going to move on in European football. Speaking of that, like when David Villa left for, uh, for New York, I mean, it's not like people started watching the MLS more, at least I didn't. But it kind of like brought about a resurgence in terms of his reputation. People were like, wow, you know, he's like, he still had much more left to offer playing in Europe's top flight. So it kind of like did him a, a service in terms of his reputation image. Like he was, he was gone too soon, that type, that type of stuff. And he really was, because I remember when, when he left Barcelona, and God, that was so stupid on our behalf. But and then he joined Atletico Madrid. He was pretty good for them in that campaign when they won the league and made the Champions League final. And then after that, he went to I think Australia first and then New York because the teams were owned by the City Group or something. It's the City Group. Yeah, the City Group. Yeah. But when he but when he did that, fans fans at least for the ones I spoke to and saw online, everyone was kind of disappointed because they all wanted to see more of him in Europe's uh, top division leagues. Thank you. This is a good tangent. You bought the City Group. I think Safwan's uh, news of the week is to do with uh, Manchester City. My story this week is that Manchester City fans have unveiled a huge banner, which is anti-UEFA, and it says, Power, Corruption and Lies. UEFA Mafia Corrupting Football Since 1954. So, to address the elephant in the room i'm sure the first thought of this that everyone else has had is the same as mine and how are they planning to do this in the middle of a global pandemic when fans are banned from stadium so initially this was planned to be unveiled in the round of 16 match against real madrid on 17th march but of course that game was postponed so instead, they've moved it to Heaton Park. But seriously, the the irony in the, in that that poster, I think it's a bit much. I think UEFA's best response would probably to just put a picture of a mirror. God, God, that was so lame. I loved it, but I loved. It. <laughs> oh, it's such a dad joke. No, well played. <laughs> no, it takes a second for the penny to drop, and you're like, oh, okay. Oh, God. 
I think it's quite interesting. The city have been trying to raise awareness, and I know that city fans have had an issue with UEFA for a couple of years at least. That's that's dated back to a couple of decisions that they deem to be uh, controversial. It's funny how they've kept a hold of that banner for, for quite so long. Anyway, I, I'd be interested to see if um, City fans, given it's going to be obviously in, in a in a stadium of some sort when the Premier League does come back, whether they actually fly uh, an airplane over the stadium with with something to do with UEFA. It, it does seem to be Man City fans against UEFA. It's not the first time they've done it. They have booed the Champions League anthem on a number of occasions. I mean, I love the Champions League anthem. It, having people boo it upsets me deeply. That's, um, that's, yeah, it's interesting to see. In fairness, to give an idea of what the City fans are actually trying to say, um, essentially from the 1894 group, which is the Man City group that unveiled this banner, what they've said is that the message we want to send UEFA is that Financial fair play was just created to try and protect the elite and that we know they simply don't want the new kids on the block city to be part of their club. City's owners have probably found loopholes, which annoy UEFA, but they're being punished for investing in their own club, in jobs and in their own area. I find it very hard to empathize and sympathize with City and their fans, but I I think their questions of what exactly financial fair play is and what it's aimed to do, I, I think they're very valid questions. I don't think FFP has really achieved what what a lot of people thought that it was being brought out to achieve. I, I don't think it's really made football a fair game. I understand that in a way it's prevented clubs from going from from spending recklessly and going bankrupt now but i i think there is some merit to the point that clubs that got billion billionaire owners right before the ffp was introduced they were allowed to put in as much money as they wanted and it sort of set up this big boy club of the, these elite clubs that are there with with their billionaire owners that had already poured this money in and now because of FFP, you're essentially preventing any sort of competition to them. Yeah, I do agree with that. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, Newcastle, if their perspective takeover takes place, how much they're actually going to benefit from the ownership. The, dubi- the dubious nature of the FFP has, I mean, I think that predates the city supporters banner and all those all those behaviors i mean i remember when the ffp like they announced it and they came out came out i, I think very few fans or professionals or pundits or whatever actually really understood what is the ffp what are the actual rules and regulations so i don't know i'm not entirely sure how um, productive it would be for a club to uh, or a fan base to lead the charge i think that would be uh, there would be a conflict of interest there but there has to be um I think the FFP just need to be actually like looked into like maybe a way to make them clearer, more understandable, like a little more obvious because I don't, nothing has really changed, at least in my opinion, from like the way things have been working since before, during and after FFP. Maybe that's, maybe that's just me. I I don't know. Sorry, I'm hearing (laughs) shuffling in the background. Uh, Carl's trying to um, 
keep steady because he, he's got the biggest news of the week and <laughs> I think he just can't handle it anymore. <laughs> What's the news, Carl? Oh, the, the, the excitement is building up, I'll tell you that. Yeah, so away from, uh, you know, these big picture things, actually transfer news for me is tra- news of the week. And that is the hijacking of Timo Werner from Liverpool to Chelsea. And I love it. I love it. I love the signing. I love what this means. I love the, the step that they've taken in this direction. Now, nothing's nothing's certain. I know it's not 100% yet, and I know this does not mean that he's going to be a 30-goal-per-year striker, none of that, but the direction really has shifted. I love it. I love that there's been a plan set in place. I love we've been getting players that had been agreed on between the manager, better check the advisor, the board, altogether, and no more panic signings, panic buys when you just drop the ball on your main target or you can't negotiate with your main target, then you're left with no player and then you got to rush and sign somebody as has been the case the past couple of seasons. So that's my news of the week. Couldn't be happier. Now, hopefully it goes through. You know, a year ago or two, I would have been furious had it been like, had Liverpool been so close to signing a player like that and then Chelsea hijacked it but over the last year or two I've really I, I never had an issue with Liverpool put the the, the comeback last the comeback you know, put that aside generally put that aside They've be, the fans have become so insufferable like I'm just happy and I don't even like Chelsea that you know, that's no secret but I'm just glad that Liverpool oh I yeah I, I'm just glad that Liverpool uh, didn't make the signing and they got hijacked what's funny is you now have all these Liverpool players and all all these Liverpool fans all coming out and just making excuses overall. Like, now I understand. I understand there's the financial aspect. And yes, maybe Liverpool just stopped. They said, we can't afford this. But funny you say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the ones, the comments that really make me laugh aren't those ones. Because those, you know, there may be a valid argument behind this. Their owners may just have said, you know, we can't really spend this much on a player who... Really, it's not going to start, to be honest. I mean, maybe at some point, but he's not as needed as Liverpool as much as he is at Chelsea. But what I love it is Robbie Fowler's comments about how he, how the player is not good enough, and had Jurgen Klopp wanted him, Jurgen Klopp would have gotten him. Come on, that's just that's just ridiculous. I think in between Timo Werner, Martinez at Inter, those are maybe. The two most pro- exciting young strikers and not young as in 20 years old. They're still like, you know, within 23, 23 year old range, really that were available to move. Cause I know there's a lot of talk about Martinez to Barcelona as of late. And the fact that the fact that Frank Lampard and Petrček pulled this off, that goes to speak volume about how they have, you know, a vision of this club and how they want to move forward. Cause the news really I wanted to bring wasn't the, necessarily the fact of being close to signing it, but more so the news that came out about how Lampard and Czech went to Germany right before every, everything got shut down back in February. And the key thing there is Petr Czech, being the multilingual he is, was there to, you know, get, get everything, get all the talks underway. And he spoke in fluent German with Werner's father and agent because his father does not speak English. Didn't uh, Agent Rudy do a, a job as well, from what I'm hearing? Oh, yeah. I saw, I saw that, too. About time Rudiger did something other than clowning. 
but funny you say about uh, Liverpool not being able to afford him. I, I don't know if you remember, but Liverpool had a PR disaster class at the beginning of the COVID-19 situation. What happened? They furloughed all of their staff. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, right, right. That, that. And they basically came out, reversed that and apologised. And that was a massive lose-lose for them. The government basically said that if you do take advantage of the furlough scheme, every single transfer of yours will be evaluated. And if it's not deemed to be absolutely necessary, then they're not going to sanction a deal. So this is just purely hypothetical here. This is purely just using the information that we're given. Liverpool could have been interested in Timo Werner. I know for a fact that Jurgen Klopp was speaking to Timo Werner on a regular basis. Liverpool might well have been told by the government, by HMRC, if you're going to be spending 50, 60 million on Timo Werner, we're not going to sanction it. And we're going to make sure to stop that transfer from happening. And if you do make that transfer, you're going to be paying a lot of tax. And Liverpool then decided, OK, we're not going to go for this. And essentially, that's, um, that's a lose-lose-lose PR situation because how they went about it and what they did with that might have impacted the rest of their window. Yeah, that, that, you know, credit, credit to the government. That makes a lot of sense. Did the government actually say that, though? Because I remember a lot of journalists were proposing that that should be done, but I don't think anyone from the government actually said that this is what's going to happen. Not, not necessarily. I heard for a fact that, for example, Spurs, they wanted to make something. So HMRC warned Premier League clubs, they warned championship clubs about essentially overspending. That, that was the, the terminology that they used. They said that they expect more compliance than previous years and proactive act handling of tax, uh, tax risks. They said that task, uh, tax risks include image rights, agent fees, representation and transfer fees. Uh, they didn't actually specify what the fee was, but if it's deemed to be over the top, then they would have a legit, legitimate reason to come in and stop. Interesting. Yeah, so basically they thought that whatever they do is basically subject to PAYE tax. And they, they're investigating um, VAT as well. Uh, they're investigating any sort of transfers as well. So th there is that. I know for a fact that transfers from Macclesfield, transfers from Notts County, uh, transfers from Oldham Athletics, they, they were stopped by, by HMRC because basically the clubs couldn't really afford them uh, and they applied for a furlough scheme. But yeah, that, that's, that's my two cents. I, I don't know whether that's that paid or that factored into Liverpool's decision-making given how big they are as a football club, but that might have been possible. I think that, that actually raises the question if maybe the U-turn that Liverpool and Spurs took was not exactly for the good of the people, but to allow them to make transfers yeah. that they want to in the future. It certainly um, puts shines a light on something again. This is just me purely hypothesizing that might not be the case. But it's not that hard to put two and two together and given the news that's come out about HMRT and then actually hearing about what they'd be doing, it, it would make sense. Uh, Chelsea certainly paid all their staff in full. They didn't apply for the furlough scheme. Uh, if anything, they've paid their staff for the rest of the season, irrespective of the season continues or not. 
Now we know that project restart is in the, in, in the works and that's going to happen. But Abramovich made sure that he paid all of his staff beforehand. Uh, so yeah, congratulations to Chelsea. One thing I will say though is I'm very surprised Barcelona didn't go for him, considering the fact that they want to go for Lotaro Martinez, who is valued at about 115, 120 million. Werner's what is going to go 50, 55 million euros. It depends on whether they qualify for the Champions League. Yeah, it's a five million extra. I'm I'm surprised United didn't go for him. Well, he's not going to play ahead of Lewandowski, is he? I said I said United, not oh, Bayern. Yeah, but United. Uh, look, United for us. He's still going to keep that point. He's not going to play ahead of Lewandowski. Uh, is he? Look for United. <laughs> At some point, he will. He would, but. We've seen that with Holland, and we, we, we're going to see in this place. United really believe in Marcus Rashford. They believe he's going to be the next big thing, irrespective of if he's playing wide left or if he. Well, I understand. I understand. Um, but Marcus Rashford isn't your traditional striker in the sense, right? I mean, he can play on both wings and in the middle. I think he's misused personally. Uh, when he's actually played through the middle, he's averaged a goal a game. But oh, yeah. I think that he's, he's better out wide on the left. Um, but I think Barcelona should have evaluated Timo because they have massive gaps throughout their team. It's not just up front where the issue is. Our transfer policy hasn't made sense in years. So what I'm, what I'm taking a look at here is you're going to be spending $120 million on Lotaro Martinez. So they're not even going for him for sure anymore given their financial situation. No, right no, of course, of course, of course. But in... in, in in a pre-COVID situation, that was what they were going to do. That's fair. Yeah, that's true. I'm taking a look at the fact that they could have had 60 million to strengthen elsewhere. I think that's vitally important. So it doesn't make sense why they haven't at least made a move required. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree because uh, Timo Werner, I think, is a player who could have fit in uh, in the team. But if you look at our situation up front, I mean, we have Griezmann who's been being misused, uh, Dembele who's heard, they ship. Malcolm and uh, and Coutinho. It's like I've I've tried to think about what they're doing, what their direction is, what's going on. None of it makes sense. I uh, like, and we'll talk about that when we get into the uh, the, the gist of what today's pod was is uh, is about with, uh, with regards to the bad transfers and whatnot. But I just I just don't know what the transfer policy is at Barcelona. The upper management makes no sense. Uh, so the players. Um, it took a 70% wage cut. That was their own initiative to cover all the staff salaries because the upper management wasn't really prepared to do anything other than just, you know, muck it up as usual. But I definitely think that Werner was a player they should have taken a look at. That would have left another 60 million on the table that could have been invest- invested elsewhere. I'm just, I'm just happy in that regard uh, for, from a Chelsea perspective. I'm not saying Chelsea were favorites. Or I'm not saying they would have signed them or anything like that. But I really do not want Chelsea to find Jaden Sancho. And the, the only reason why I say this is because there's actually two reasons. Number one is 120 million on a position you don't necessarily need because you really need to fix that back line. That back line is terrible. There, that's where the investment needs to go. Number two is I'm not saying Hudson Odoi is better. I'm not. But there's nothing that says that these two players within the next five years can be at least of similar level. Just Hudson has just been unlucky with a bad injury and he just hasn't been playing consistently as Sancho has. The talent, I think they're both pretty much as talented. Maybe Sancho is a bit more of a finisher. Hudson Adoy is a bit more of a traditional winger in the sense. 
Um, so that's kind of why I'm I'm very happy with addressing that situation by getting Timo Werner, who can play across the front three, irrespective of whether he's just a second striker behind Tammy, with whether he's gonna come off the left wing, right wing, whether they're gonna play four four two, whatever all that stuff is. I think that that is a very intelligent signing for a fantastic price, and you already got the guy from Ajax, Hakim Ziyech. He's yeah. yeah. Who's who's incredible too in terms of technical skill and and um, just in terms of talent there. So I think some very very smart signings as far as Chelsea are concerned. Now watch us watch us ruin it by spending eighty five million on Ben Chilwell. So <laughs> I mean, they need. I'd probably say they need a centre back and a left back to go. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, think so. they they'd be up there with competing for the title. Uh, I, I don't I don't think so for one reason, not yet at least, and that is you need some experience in that regard. I don't think I don't think Chelsea have that in the core of the current squad any, that much. You know you want to make sure that your strikers are going to be consistent for the full season. They're going to get you twenty plus goals. Tammy Abraham's been very good this season, but has he really been under a lot of pressure? You can mention the miss in the Super Cup and, and bouncing back after that, but. How are you going to handle it when a title race is the requirement now? And it's not like, okay, we've got the season. We're going to develop these players. Really, nobody's expecting much of us. It's a big, big difference when you're the one under the gun and when you're just you know, not expected much of. There's a big difference in that aspect. I don't disagree, but if you take a look at the people that you've bought in, that automatically raises the bar. You've bought in someone who, in, in, in Ziyech and in, in Timo Werner, two people that can give you 50, 60 goal contributions a season. You're oh, adding yeah. those to the team. And when you take a look at the wingers that you currently have, Willian's been eh. Pedro, eh. hudson Odoi has been mediocre at best because he's coming back from his Achilles injury and he's not been that good in all honesty. Yeah. You're adding, you're essentially adding a net contribution of 50 to 60 goal contributions a season. Chelsea have been very good this season. They've been very good this season. Uh, yes, it might be because of no expectations. If not had the transfer window, you're integrating in kids. That's fair enough. But you have probably someone that can actually finish the ball and Chelsea would spin those games around. The games that they've actually lost, I think the United game, the first one, you, you end up getting smashed, what, 4-0, 4-1? Yeah, it was 4-0 and I don't think that was deserved. I think... I think that game could have gone very finisher, Somebody who can actually finish the ball. You could have started that with a win. And that just, that's just one example. Chelsea's wins this season have been very narrow. They haven't actually been smashed to smithereens. At least I can't recall it for the life of me. Adding two goal scorers and then adding someone at the back. I'm just throwing out a name here, but adding a Koulibaly and having someone that's not Marcus Alonso or Emerson at left back. That I yeah. think that's probably a title challenger. Maybe it doesn't win the title, but you can challenge for a title with that. I like the midfield a lot. I think the midfield's got a lot of balance to it with a healthy Conte, obviously, no, with no Conte. But the big question is now, yeah, if you're gonna go and get a center back, I don't necessarily see who's available. And you need I mean you throw out Koulibaly, but with the Chelsea board and the approaches on transfers, that is a player that they would definitely not go for. And the reason why I'm saying this is because in, in recent history, or at least in the last couple of seasons, what they've done in terms of signings, why did they reject signing a 
Obama Yang that summer ended up going for Murata, which was very, very stupid. But I don't the reason for that is they just they want resale value. So oh, yeah. they're not they they want to spend 50, 60 million on a player, but they know if things work out, if things don't work out two, three years later, if, the, if somebody comes in for the player, they've got some value to sell it. And that's very fortunate what happened with Morata because that that mistake was heavily, heavily comped by Marina after this, recouping a big chunk of that fee. I think it was close to like 90%, makes it a much you know softer blow for the team as opposed to having gone and got, you know, let's say Obama and he didn't work out and then you're stuck there because nobody's going to spend 50, 60 million on a 32 year old, not named Cristiano Ronaldo. So that kind of hat falls there. So in terms of center back, I don't know who's on the market necessarily. That's going to be Chelsea's Van Dyke in the sense of elevating that back line, creating the confidence, you know, locking things up and leading from the back. I don't uh, really. What do you mean, Milan Skrinra from from? Inter- oh, I, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. But Antonio Conte and uh, Chelsea, I don't think that's. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah, I think that's one name I think of. I know, Pomecano has been somebody discussed a lot between Chelsea and Arsenal, but again, he's still 21, 22, I think, so that might not work. And he's I, not I been just, good since the, since the restart. I'm not sure who's watching the Bundesliga, at least for this week, but he's, for the last couple of weeks, he's not been a good centre-back at the moment. Yeah, he got That's sent just... off um, this week as well. Oh, he did with he did in the first half with two yellow cards. I was checking, obviously, to see Werner play, but <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of my thing there with Chelsea is I think centre-back is critical and I just don't see anybody on the market that can be signed within those within those you know cri- within that criteria of having a high resale value that's going to have the same Van Dyke impact of elevating that back line and really shoring up the defense so I, I find it very interesting that we're talking about Werner and resale value of older players and 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 the restart of the Bundesliga and, and when you look at the restart of the Bundesliga and, and the players that are really performing this season it's it's players that come to mind of course there's Jaden Sancho but You've also got Lewandowski and Muller that are now over 30 years old. And Lewandowski just became the first player in the top five European leagues to reach 30 goals. And Muller, on the other hand, he became the first player in the top five leagues to reach 20 assists. And with both of these players, um, Lewandowski in regards to signing for Madrid and Muller in regards to signing for Man United, there was... A lot of talk from fans of those teams saying that they wouldn't be the greatest of signings because of the fact that they're so old. But but you see now that maybe people should take into account the fact that the 3-0 is not some magical number after which you cross and suddenly your performances drop off. Uh, another example that comes to mind, uh, I, I, uh, David Villa back when uh, when he left Atletico Madrid, he was 34 years old, but... and went to played uh, in Australia for Melbourne City and then New York City because both teams are owned by the City Group. But it was very clear that he still had much more left in the tank. So I think it's becoming more commonplace that players will be able to still play at the top level, at the very top level. Uh, maybe not everyone will be able to perform like Ronaldo is or Ibrahimovic or Lewandowski or past 30 or Messi or Suarez. But given the advancements we have right now in players taking care of themselves, the care that they receive from the club, from dietitians, 
players being more committed themselves. Like back in the day, you'd have players who could smoke a cigarette before the game or, or whatever. So I think it's going to become more commonplace that we have players that will last this long. And it's and it's good to see because it's a shame, like you said, that oh, as soon as they cross the, the magic 3-0 up, like their, the people's perceptions of them just plummet. So this is a nice change of pace. And obviously Lewandowski right now is probably the, probably he is the best number nine in the world at the moment. And it's good to see Mueller have a resurgence, by the way, because I remember there were a couple of seasons where he wasn't doing too well. And especially now that he's like almost 30 and he's kind of getting back in form, becoming more of a creator than a scorer. So that's good to see that as well. One thing that you guys have brought up, I think Carl's brought that up and he's, you know, he's made that very clear. And, that's been in place for Chelsea and I think that's in place for a lot of teams. Um, certainly people that are talking to me about transfers in the Premier League, there's still that perception. And I think that, you know, with with the advancements of sports science and the team on that front genuinely expanding, I think, you know, teams might start realising that they can take a gamble on someone that's 30 plus. But that being said, we're still a long way away from that. I think that teams like Chelsea are going to take a look and going to say, okay, if this guy doesn't work out, can we flip him? Because at the moment, this is what's happened. If we sign Jaden Sancho and Jaden Sancho doesn't work out and we have to sell him at 25, 26, you can still get a lot of money back for him. We've signed Alexis Sanchez. He's, what, he's 31, 32 now? And United can't seem to get rid of him. Yes, of course, there's salary factoring into it and whatnot, but no one really wants to take him. And that's the issue. Meza Ozil right now, Arsenal signed him to an extension and no one's going to look to sign him. I think from what we're hearing, the biggest uh, the biggest team looking to make a move for him is uh, Fenerbahce. And that's only because it's going to be very marketable. A Turkish club going to play for Fener, who was the childhood team of his. So I, I, while I do see, you know... <sighs> The Lewandowski and uh, and Thomas Müller situations, uh, you know, working out relatively well for Bayern. I still can't see teams wanting to build around people or sign people that are 30 plus for 60, 70 million pounds. That's why I think Koulibaly this summer will be, you know, this is last chance saloon for De Laurentiis because if he doesn't sell him this summer, he's not going to get good value for him. And I know that defenders age relatively well and if someone's 32, 33, 34 and they have the ability to play then you're still going to be able to to sell a player but for him asking 75, 80, 90 million euros for a centre-back now is the time to cash in on him. The thing with Koibali is I don't think the Orientes wants to cash in. I think he'd just rather keep the yeah. players and take no, them. I, I do agree with that. But I do think at some point he, especially now with coronavirus and everything that's happened, Syria is, is going to be one of the worst hit leagues around Europe, irrespective of what happens, even if they do start the league. And he might have to catch in on Koulibaly. And I think that's why now there's going to be a willingness to listen to transfers. I think teams in England, certainly, they've taken a look at um, different players in, in in Italy at the moment and what they're looking to do is come summertime you're going to realise there's going to be a lot more signings from Syria to the Premier League because teams there are out to survive even even the likes of Napoli even though they are making the Champions League almost every year they're still going to be losing out on crazy amounts of money and I think 
this season is the first season where he might bend and might sell a player at his will. Uh, you bring up the you brought you both brought up the point that they might not want to let him go, but like, what if he wants to go? Because aside from the money issues and all that, because Napoli is like what I think in seventh Serie A right now, and they've been doing very like not well at all this season. They're not even a lock for the Europa League. So you know, I mean, you also have to think about whether he might want to, like, because he might be thinking this is might be it for him, his last chance to really like maybe win a trophy somewhere and make a champion, a Champions League run, a league title. He can think all he wants, but De Laurentiis has a history of not letting letting a player go unless he wants to let him go. So yeah, sure, I agree, I agree. So maybe that, maybe that, with your remark on the the need for money, given the whole COVID nineteen thing, might you know. Oh, I think I think Syria is going to be worse for it. Absolutely, the players that are going to leave the league because of COVID nineteen is going to be very high, especially if you're talking about going to England. And I know for a fact that teams in Italy are approaching me and telling me if I could move this player for X amount of millions to a Premier League team, they'll give me a commission. So there is an active, active movement towards wanting to move players from Italy to England. So Koulibaly could be on the move if the price is met. That's how I see it. Now, whether that price is something that will be met, given 80, 90 million euros on a centre-back who's 28, 29, is he 29? It's not, it's not ideal. I mean, I would, I'd much rather spend my money on, on Skrinra, for example, if I was Chelsea, or even try and make an audacious move for Delict and see what we can, you can get out of him. That'd, that'd be an interesting one, because I was actually thinking about him a couple of days ago when you brought up the whole... Um, you know, weirdest transfers, and not not that it was weird, but it was just because, again, like especially in light of the Werner transfers, you thought the lift was going to go to Barcelona or Bayern. I think were the top two for the longest time. Then all of a sudden, he goes to Juve. But it hasn't. He hasn't really particularly been rather well or up to, up to it at Juventus, and and I know Sarri isn't the best at playing young players. I don't know how much he's been playing, but I'm sure when it comes to Sarri's team selection, it was always going to be Bonucci and Chiellini out of them. I know, I know Chiellini is out now with an ACL or something like that. So, in a way, in a way, that'd be an interesting move to see because I do think, like going back to the discussion of what Chelsea needs, is there needs to be a centre back that you're going to lock in there for ten years. That that has to happen. I think that's. The only, that's the only signing that makes sense outside of the left back. People are rushing to jump on Kepa's case and be like, new goalkeeper, new goalkeeper. But when you spend $71 million on a keeper, um, you need to exhaust your uh, options before you really... And I hate to bending Kepa. To give yeah. him. But your centre-backs haven't been very good this yeah. season. Oh, they haven't. They haven't. There's no, there's no accountability and there's no leadership that much. That's the biggest problem. So... I think Jonathan Taw is a, is a center back I like. I think he'd be well in the Premier League. Leverkusen oh, yeah. center back. Um, um, he's I don't he's never been mentioned really, but and he's never been mentioned. But I think that'd be one of those situations where, you know, you can potentially justify spending fifty million plus because it's twenty four again, twenty four, twenty five years old, just like Harry Maguire, who I mean, eighty million was a bit of a stretch, but you could under you could have understood United spending the sixty, no problem. Oh, he's coming! He's coming, and he's become our captain straight away. And the way 
United's oh, yeah, uh, defense has been solidified because of him. It's, it's, it's great, but I think for for Delict, I think Juventus have another very good young centre back in Merih Demiral, and while he did get injured, he's he's been their guy. Looking at him, he he was loaned out to Sassuolo, and he, he was a very good player. Um, now he got injured and all, but he's back next season. And the way Delict's been playing this season has been fantastic. And Sari has called him out a multiple times. So I do think that if Chelsea were to make a bid this summer, that Juventus might listen. I wouldn't say they'd sell, but th- there would be a, a gate or a minor opening of trying to get him. Jonathan Tarfor is worth as um, a bit like a burned Leno, really. He, he burst onto the scene and then after that, he's just, he's been okay. Meh. Like, he's, he's okay. But I wouldn't be going for him from Bayer Leverkusen. Bayer Leverkusen have uh, the centre-back that they signed uh, in January. I, I don't know if you've, uh, if any of you have seen him play so far. Um, but he, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, they signed him from from Portugal, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, his name's um, Tab Sober, I think it is. And I think they signed him for, for two, three million. And now he's worth like 20, 25 million already. He's come in and he's absolutely busted. He's a Burkina Faso international. Now, he's the guy who seems to be a bit like a Jerome Boas hand, but is not as stupid with the ball, if I was to say so he'd be someone who, who you'd go for, lock in and forget that you even signed him for 10 years. You know, we had a player like that and then we sent him on loan to Schalke and they just have a 25 million euro buyout. Sudibo? Sudibo. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to exercise that that clause. Though. I hope, I really hope they don't. The kid is fantastic. The kid is really, I mean, he's just, I think, 20 or 21 years old tops. He's really good on the ball. He's very composed. I mean, obviously, he's still got a lot to learn, a lot of lots of room for improvement. And he was, I think, uh, Schalke's player of the month before the whole COVID thing. So I hope they don't. I really hope they don't exercise that buy option because I actually, even if they do, I think we can buy him back for an extra 10 million on top of because their buy option is 25 million plus 5 million in add-ons. I think we can counteract that by spending another 10 million over it. So we buy him back for like 40, which would be ridiculous. But I really hope they don't exercise it. I really don't want him to go. I mean, he was quite good with Toulouse, I'll give you that. Yeah, he's a good player. He's a really good player. I mean, he's a, he's a developmental project, obviously, but he can, he's can he got a very high ceiling, in my opinion. He could have been our centre-back for the next 10, 12 years. I don't think he's been particularly great since the restart of the Bundesliga. Yeah. But then I mean, yeah, but that's, but that's... I mean, you're going to expect that rust for everybody. I mean, if that carries over, like, indefinitely, then for sure. But, I mean, you got to give them somewhat... Not a free pass, but somewhat of, like... Uh, and it's understandable for the time being... Yeah, and Schalke, Schalke themselves haven't been particularly great. <laughs> no, they've conceded goals for fun. Yeah. They've not been good. This shades of Huddersfield with David Wagner. I'll tell you that. They can't actually get relegated, but that's not stopping them from trying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I guess that's all we have time for. Uh, thank you, everyone, for, for joining. Obviously, uh, Quite a lot has happened within the last week. And uh, I guess I'll say this, Chelsea potential title winners next year. Goodbye.